Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for particularly this reading from Paul's epistle to the Corinthians. And we pray that, um, Lord, we wouldn't get lost in the weeds or the technicalities of it, but that we would see the big idea, just like V.E. said, that real freedom in you is the freedom to give ourselves away. Uh, That's where real life is found, uh, and that is completely contrary to what our world and even our own flesh, uh, our own instincts, tell us. And so, Lord, would you deliver us and strengthen us to live after the pattern of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you please be seated. This yesterday I saw on social media, I think it was on, on X, which is Twitter's new stupid name. Um, <laughs> it, was a, it was a little video um, of a bear, and the caption said, uh, you know, just like a little 20-second video or something like that, and the caption said that it was a, I don't know if this is true, but it works for the sermon. Um, it, it was a bear that was raised in captivity and been kept in a very small cage its whole life. And then when it was released out into a nature preserve in Russia, um, it continued, actually, you could see the ground, it continued to walk in these like tight little circles. Like it was, it was even though it had been set free, in some way it was still captive, what had the, the, um, the impact of its enslavement, uh, of its bondage, had continued to impact it in a deep, um, almost, uh, almost reflexive way, an instinctual way, even after it had been set free. And I think that's actually a pretty good analogy or a pretty good illustration for us to enter into this question of, that Paul's discussing here about his rights. He says in verse 15 that uh, I have these rights, but I lay them down. We're going to talk about what those rights are. But just the idea that you would lay down your rights, that you would lay down your freedom, you would lay down your entitlement for the sake of someone else, for the sake of love, and particularly for the sake of the gospel. And that's Paul's burden, that true freedom is found in foregoing one's rights, foregoing one's own entitlements and freedoms, for the love of others and for the sake of the gospel. As I mentioned in verse 15, it says, I've made no use of my rights or uh, of any of these rights. And then in verse 19, he says, for though I am free from all, meaning I'm free from all um, uh, claims that any any other person or uh, any religious system might make toward me, I'm free from all that. And yet I don't exercise my freedom in that way. I become a servant. Actually, my freedom leads me to be a slave uh, of others. And that's, I think, the big idea of the passage this morning, that true freedom is found in foregoing one's rights for the sake of love and for the sake of, gospel, of the gospel. So uh, let's look at this passage together. It might be helpful to, to just kind of remember the general background of the book of 1 Corinthians. So this church in Corinth, they have, um, they have a problem with power, prestige, and pride. Anything that, see, I talked about this on this very Sunday last year. Uh, They have a problem with things that look impressive, look powerful, look important. They get sucked into that. And particularly, there are traveling preachers, traveling teachers who come in and they sound amazing and they're so impressive. They're so erudite. They're so charismatic. They're so funny. They seem so insightful. And, but those same preachers are living a life of flagrant sin. There is no integrity between what they're preaching and how they're living. And the Corinthians have kind of been sucked into that same sort of worldview, and they've begun to think that it actually it doesn't matter. You know, they, they start to think things like, hey, if we've been forgiven, then it kind of doesn't matter how we live, right? 
If we are free, we're no longer under the law, that means we can live, there's no restriction on us. We can live however we want. If we are already part of the new creation, then whatever we do with these old creation bodies, it doesn't really matter, right? And so even though they've been set free by the gospel, the old way of thinking of self-indulgence, self-centeredness, pride, getting their own desires met is still deeply ingrained in them. One, uh, one scholar summed up their problem this way, uh, and I already kind of alluded to it. They are addicted to power, prestige, and pride represented in the Greek wisdom tradition, especially its emphasis on the glory of human wisdom and attainment and its corresponding flamboyant and fragrant, uh, flamboyant and flagrant lifestyle. These um, Christians have been sucked in to a completely backward way of thinking about their freedom. Their freedom has become an an opportunity for self-indulgence rather than a freedom to serve others and to demonstrate and declare the gospel. And, the, and so that's the general background. The particular issue that Paul is talking about here in chapter 9, the reason he's talking about his rights and how he doesn't take advantage of them is what we actually read last week as our epistle reading. The issue of whether or not it's okay for a Christian to eat food at the, basically at the temple restaurant, the pagan temple restaurant, food sacrificed to idols. And Paul says, um, theoretically, you, those who are knowledgeable, you who are strong, you who are enlightened, you know that there's only one God, right? Idols aren't real. And so totally in a sense that if something's been sacrificed for an idol, to an idol, what does that even mean, given the fact that idols don't really exist? So yes, in theory, you're right. You can eat whatever you want to eat and don't worry about it. But there are some in the church who when they see you eat, their conscience is offended. And they begin to doubt, and they begin to have questions. And Paul uses very strong language. This, these weak people, quote-unquote weak people, see the quote-unquote strong people acting in this way, and Paul says that some of these weak are defiled and be, begin to stumble and are even, verse 11, destroyed because of what the quote-unquote strong are doing. The strong have the right to eat the idol food. And as they exercise that right, they actually end up harming their brother or sister in Christ. That's the, that's the specific issue that Paul is speaking to. If he's saying, at the end of chapter 8, he says to these Corinthians, don't you understand that in enacting your freedom in this way, in, the, in taking uh, advantage of this entitlement that you have, don't you see that you are sinning against your brother, that's the exact word he uses, sinning against your brother and sinning against Christ. Uh, that seems, I mean, that's not how you would think of it, right? Like if you have been set free in Christ, that means you're free to do what you want. You know, that, what's that song? Free to do what I want any old time. Like that's what you think freedom is. But Paul says, no, real freedom is, is the ability to get over yourself, to get yourself out of the middle and to live for the sake of other people. And so in chapter 9, Paul points to himself. He says, don't you, brothers, don't you see? That's what, I'm, that's what I do. Don't you see that, that I am an example, that I'm living out this pattern of the gospel, of, of self-denial, of death to self, so that I might have greater life. And so in chapter 9, verses 1 through 14, and if you want to look at it in the Pew Bible, it's pages 256 and 257, uh, Paul hits them with a, literally 16 rhetorical questions in a row, basically. And the point of all of them is, that ministers have a right to support or provision for their service in the gospel. That's Paul's big idea. And he gives a bunch of reasons for that, and I won't name them all. You can read it. 
Um, but but the, the climactic final reason that he gives is because Jesus said so. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 10, he sends out his disciples and he tells them, eat whatever you're given, drink whatever you're given, for the worker deserves his wages. So the one who ministers in the gospel deserves to be supported uh, by those who, whom he is ministering to. And so he says, I have this right, and yet in verse 15, you, he makes this really strong um, so he's making this really strong argument that ministers deserve provision. And so what you expect is the other shoe to drop and him to say, therefore, support me, right? But he doesn't do that. He does the opposite. He says, I have this right, but I haven't made any use of it. And, and what's offensive to them is that he hasn't made use of his right, that he hasn't made use of his freedom. The Corinthian church agreed with Paul fundamentally that he had the right to be supported. They had supported the brothers of the Lord, and they had supported Cephas when Cephas had come, Peter, when he had come to Corinth. And yet Paul was like holding them at arm's length and refusing to accept their financial support. And the reasoning Paul gives is because he says, it's actually, it's actually more loving for me to let go of that right. It's actually more freeing for me as an apostle to let go of that right than if I were to take advantage of it. So that's why he says in verse 15, I have made no use of any of these rights, the right to be supported financially. Now I know that sounds completely backwards to us. Why would the Corinthian church be offended that Paul didn't accept their financial support, right? That sounds like, like to us, that sounds like a good deal, right? Like, oh wait, we have an apostle and we don't have to even have to pay him? That sounds great, you know? Like, that's, we can use that money for something else. They're offended because they want Paul to behave like those teachers that I was talking about at the beginning of the sermon. They expect Paul to behave in the same way that those Greek wisdom teachers and those traveling preachers behaved. They, and they also expect, because of how their culture works, that if they support Paul financially, well, that, that kind of puts restrictions on him and implications on him and things he owes back to them. He becomes their, they become his patron, and, and, uh, and he owes them some sort of honor or respect. Or, and we've all, we've all seen that, right? People who are um, confined in some way by their, their job or their financial dependence on something, and so they can't say the thing they really want to say for the fear that, that the, something bad would happen. And so Paul is able to say, nope, I'm not going to fall into that. Nope, I'm not going to be your patron. I want to be free to go where I want, say what I want as, I, as the Lord leads, they also probably feel a little bit offended. The wealthy in Corinth are like, Paul, we want to help you. And he's like, I don't need your help. I, I rely on the Lord for my provision. And, they're, and they're, they're probably offended by that, especially because they may know that at other places, Paul did accept provision. He accepted a gift from the Philippians to support his ministry. And so uh, these Corinthians, they agree with Paul that he has the right, but they're frustrated by the fact that he won't let that he won't live out the right. And his point is, no, not taking advantage of the right is actually a picture of the gospel. Laying down my rights as an apostle, Paul says, shows you what you ought to be doing as you answer this question of idle food and in general as you relate to one another. One time I was ministering, trying to kind of uh, mediate between uh, a young married couple and uh, one of the parents of... Um, it was the parents of the groom. And, and the parents had given this young couple um, several gifts, uh, various different kinds. And the young couple 
always experienced those gifts as coming with several strings attached. And there was an insistence on the part of those who gave the gift that there were no strings attached. And yet there was an insistence on the part of the people who received the gift that there is definitely strings attached. And so there was this tension. They were probably both a little bit right, both a little bit wrong. But I think maybe that's a, a way you could relate to this experience that the Corinthians and Paul, this tension that they're having. The Corinthians want to give him financial support. And he's saying, no, I'm not going to use my freedom for myself. I'm using my freedom so that I may serve others and spread the gospel. Paul says in verses 15, 16, and 17, he says, this is my boast, that I get to preach the gospel freely. That when I come to a new place, I can preach it to them with no strings attached. That they don't owe me anything. That that I'm not trying to be like those traveling teachers and profit from them or uh, gain in any way or make myself build my platform. The only thing I care about is that they hear the gospel and receive the good news of Jesus. And so by laying down this right, laying down this freedom, I'm able to do that all the more. And so that's what I boast in, that I am living my life in the same pattern of the life of Jesus, giving of myself, boasting in the relinquishing of my rights. You Corinthians, you boast in the, in the freedom and rights you have, but I boast in giving those rights and freedoms away. Uh, I, you know, I have a bunch of kids, so I always, Pixar movies are where I find so many sermon illustrations. Um, I don't know if you've seen Cars. Um, if, you, if you haven't seen Cars, it's kind of like Doc Hollywood, if you ever saw that movie. It's like Big City Hotshot comes to a little town and kind of learns that, you know, being totally selfish and prideful and, and, and just driven by your own desires is, is not the way to, to live your life. It's kind of Doc Hollywood, but the, the hotshot in question is a race car, right? And so at the end of the movie, after he's lived in the small town and kind of learned all these life lessons, at the end of the movie, there's the final race that's him and Chick Hicks, who's his like arch nemesis, and the king, who's like kind of Richard Petty kind of guy. Um, you know, it's this last, the, the king's last race kind of thing. And so these three are racing. Lightning McQueen's killing them. He's so far ahead. Uh, Chick Hicks, who's kind of a cutthroat guy, actually runs into the king and wrecks the king. And so McQueen is about to cross the finish line, and he comes to a screeching halt because his uh, crew chief has told him that the king is wrecked. And he backs all the way up to where the king is, gets behind him, and pushes the king across the line. Chick Hicks wins the race. The king finishes second, and Lightning McQueen finishes third. Now, who gets to boast at the end of that? It's not Chick Hicks. Oh, I'm the Piston Cup champion. Nobody cared. Everybody was excited about what Lightning McQueen had done. I know that's so silly. I know it. But that's what Paul's talking about. Boasting in, I'm giving this up for the good of another person. This is the king's last race. I want him to finish. I want him to go out on top. And I would rather finish third than finish first if it means I can serve him in that way. That's the type of um, mindset that Paul is, af- <clears throat> is after uh, as he's talking to these Corinthians. So he says, uh, that's, that's where true freedom is, you know, not in, in, in self-indulgence, but in denying ourselves. I mean, sounds familiar, right? Like anyone who would save his life will lose it, but anyone who, would, uh, who loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will find it. That real freedom is found by relinquishing our freedom and our rights, and specifically for the love of others and the spread of the gospel. So let's look at this briefly. Um, Paul sums up 
at the end of 1 Corinthians, he sums this whole message up this way. Um, Let all you do be done in love. Let everything you do be done in love. Because so much, Corinthians, so much that you've done is not about love. It's about self-love, but it's not about self-giving love. And, And Paul says, that's what I'm doing in verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win some. In Galatians 5, verse 13, he says something very similar. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Why would someone do this? Why would you relinquish your rights? Why would you give up your freedoms? Why would you think about what another person needs and not what you want? Well, because that's what Christ did. That's the message of the gospel, right? In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, remember the one who was rich, Christ, but for your sake became poor, that you might become rich. In Philippians, he says, uh, Christ, though he had equality with God, he did not count it as something to be taken to his own advantage, but emptied himself, taking on human form, even the form of servant, and dying on the cross for us. And so Paul's life, he wants his life to be an example, uh, kind of a signpost pointing back to that cross of Christ, the self-giving, the self-emptying of Jesus for those he loves. So let me ask you, how is your life a living picture of this cross-shaped life? Are you denying yourself? Are you, am I denying my rights, my freedoms, my desires, my preferences in order uh, that I might love others and serve others and bring them the gospel? And of course, the greatest way that a Christian can love someone else is by introducing them to Jesus. Um, by by introducing them to the one who can give them real life, who can give them real freedom, who can give them real wholeness and real contentment. And so uh, Paul, he, he calls us to give up our freedoms, give up our rights, give up our preferences, give up our desires and goals and dreams and expectations so that we might win some. And Paul then lists all these different ways that he's living that out in his life. To the Jew, he becomes like a Jew. I mean, he is ethnically Jewish, but he's no longer under the Mosaic law. And yet, in Acts chapter 16, he makes Timothy get circumcised so that they can go minister to the Jews in Jerusalem. And he actually, Paul, takes a Nazarite vow, even though he's no longer under the Old Testament law. He pays the vows of other, that other people have made at the temple to, to uh, enculturate himself back into that world so that people could hear his words and hear the message of the gospel. To those under the law, to those Greeks who had become uh, followers of the Lord and taken on the Mosaic law, he, he sort of like, it's like he has a time machine and he like lives in the past because that time's over. The Mosaic time is over. The law time is over. We are now under Christ. But Paul kind of takes a time machine and, and says, you know what, I'm going to live that way so that they can hear the good news of Jesus. I met, uh, just last month, I, I met a, a family, a missionary family who are missionaries in, um, in Thailand. And they, it's like they literally like had to go in a time machine these are, they went and ministered to people deep in the, in the jungles who literally have never had any outside contact. And they, they had to, you know, the, the, um, all the technology they had was like a tin roof. That was like the technology. They, 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 they sort of went back in time, so to speak, so that they could bring the good news of Jesus to unreached people. Paul says to those outside of the law, to those Gentiles, you know, who don't even know which way is up, I became like them. I I began to speak like them and think like them and understand their needs and their desires so that I might show how Jesus is the answer to all those deep longings of their hearts. 
No, I, I didn't abandon God's moral standards, right? He said, I am under the law of God or the law of Christ, but I was no longer under the Mosaic law, and so I brought the gospel even to the Gentiles. And then last, he says, I, I um, became like the weak, which is where he started way back in chapter 8, verse 1. He's saying, Corinthians, he's saying, church, um, if you consider yourself strong, then that means you don't expect other people to rise to your level. It means in your strength, you bow down to where they are to be able to minister to them in love and to bring them the good news of Jesus. Paul says, everything I do is for the sake of the gospel. Not just the words that I preach, but the pattern of my life, the decisions that I make, the things I forego, and the things I take in, all is so that I might save some. So what would Paul say to us? I think he would say it's, he would remind us that it's our job to close the gap between us and an unbeliever. It's not, you know, we, we should not expect ordinarily for unbelievers to come banging down our door, begging us to tell them about Jesus. But we have to go out and meet them where they are and th- learn to think how they think and speak how they speak in order that they can hear this good news. He is calling us, Paul's calling us, and God is calling us to give up our entitlements, give up our freedoms, give up our preferences, give up our desires for the sake of love and for the sake of the gospel in order that we might save some. And when we begin to to live like that, we're no longer a bear stuck in a little tiny self-centered circle, but we begin to enjoy the freedom that Christ has purchased for us. So true freedom is found in foregoing our rights for the love of others and for the sake of the gospel. And Lord, would you help us to do that? Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for Jesus, who was rich, but for our sake became poor, that we might become rich. We give you thanks that, as he said, true life is found in by, by denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following after him. And Lord, we pray by your Holy Spirit that you would um, heal us of our unbelief as we continually fall into the trap of thinking, if I indulge myself or if I get my desire or if my preferences are met, then I'll be content. Lord, deliver us from that and help us to live in the freedom that the Apostle Paul lived in and the freedom that he calls us to. And we cannot do it on our own. And so help us by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand?